This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. I really appreciate the songs that uh, the band had prepared for us this morning uh, because they, they lead us into the message today. And uh, I was thinking of that last song, the, the words of Peter, that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's the only name. I think, and I want to have a word of prayer because, I mean, our world right now, I mean, there's, we're hearing almost daily in the news of attacks being made on people while they worship. And and regardless of who or what they're worshiping, as people are worshiping, whatever God they choose, other people who hate them uh, are are unleashing terror upon them. And and it's a sad state to be in in this world. Now, whether we agree with what they're worshiping or not, to me, is not the issue. What, What matters is there is so much hatred, enough hatred in this world right now that people feel like they need to go in and blow up churches and synagogues and temples, and so forth. Um, I, I think it's a sign of the times. I believe Jesus is coming soon, and uh, and I'm thankful for that belief. Um, so I want to, to stop and bow and pray right now um, for those folks in, in those places in the world. And yesterday it was in Southern California, and, and uh, who knows where it will be today. But it's been in Africa, and it's been in all kinds of places around the world. And... and um, Would you pray with me? Lord, we're thankful to be in a country where we do have the liberty to come and worship as we are today, to as we've done already in song, lift up the name of Jesus as the only way to God. And we believe that with all our hearts because the Bible tells us that, because he's the only, only one qualified who's ever lived in this world to be our savior. But Lord, there's a lot of anger and a lot of hatred a lot of evil in this world. And so I want to pray for those around the world who, for for the sake of their faith, whatever it might be, um, have lost loved ones and, and, and family members and friends. And my prayer, God, is that, um, because I believe the only cure to what is wrong with this world, the only cure for the evil that's in this world is for Jesus Christ to be proclaimed, for him to be known, for him to be accepted as the Son of God, as the risen Savior. And so we're going to talk about that today as we wind up the series, Lord. May you and your word, your spirit, uh, all together work in our hearts as we sang already this morning, asking you to search our hearts. May you search my heart today, Father, and um, remove whatever the obstacles are that are in my heart, that are in my life, that keep me from living totally committed to you, that keep me from sharing your story with others. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. You can turn with me if you want. We just read that. I'm not going to read it again, but the passage where we've been all this series in uh, Matthew chapter 5. and you, we'll, you can look that over. We're going to go to a bunch of other scriptures um, as, we, as we go this morning. Uh, when I was, I think, 15, 
maybe 16, right in that, that year um, in my life, uh, our, our youth group met on Sunday nights at our church. And <clears throat> I remember a guy um, who was a, a youth leader in our church. He was, he was not a pastor. He was, in fact, he was a soldier. He was in the army. And uh, but he taught a class uh, for, our, for young people in our church, for teenagers in our church. And it was about how to share your faith. And I remember I thought, I need, to, I need to take that class because I had been a Christian since I was 10. And one of the, the great disappointments in my own Christian life up to that point for those first five years of my relationship with Jesus was that I had never been bold enough to tell somebody about my Savior. Outside, you know, I talk with people in church about it, some, not much, but some. But nobody at school, none of my friends. And, uh, and that was very sad to me because I knew there was something missing in my life spiritually, that I was not fulfilling what God had saved me for. And I was embarrassed to God about that. Um, I was ashamed of that. Um, it bothered me deeply. And then God, and when I, that year of my, of my life when I was 15, God began to work in a big way in my life. It was that year that he called me to do what I'm doing right now. I was 15. Um, and it was that year when I was not long after when I was 16 that I preached my first sermon. I have my outline in my office, my notes. Oh, my word. <laughs> and Ricky Gonzalez taught this class on Sunday nights. And, uh, and so I, I took it. And he shared with us and had us learn all the verses in the Bible that, that we need to memorize, we think to share the gospel um, with people. By the way, let me say, you don't need to know all the verses to share the gospel. You don't. Some people say, well, when I learn enough, uh, no, you won't ever. I'm still learning. All right? They would say, I'm going to wait till I learn it all, then you'll never, ever, ever share your faith with anybody. And so he taught us a lot of verses. I memorized at that point in my life a whole lot of verses out of John and Romans and different Ephesians different verses that tell about salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And then on, I think it might have been the last class, uh, last night of the class of the, that he was teaching. Uh, I'll never forget his words. He's closed the class and he said, he said, I'm going to be at, at a park in, in our town where we live there in Southern California. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be there such and such a time on such and such a night this week, just to walk around and talk with people, cold turkey, talk to people who are total strangers about Christ and attempt to share Jesus with them there at the park. He said, you all are welcome to come and join me. But then he said the words that, At that point in my time, a time in my life, I was kind of, I was a little bit silly, all right, in the sense that if people dared me to do something, I would say, okay, no matter how dumb it was, you dare me to do it, I'll do it. I, you know, I dare you to eat this chili pepper. You know, so I remember eating a chili pepper. Were you there, Donna, when I did that? I was at my own birthday party when I was, I think, 16. 
Pulled it right off the bush in the backyard. Eat this chili pepper. I'll do it. I ate it and I consumed a gallon of water um, after I did. And I thought, well, I'll never do that stupid thing again. Ricky looked at us in the class and I don't know how many were in the class, 10, 15, 20 kids, I guess. He said, I'm going to be there at at, uh, the park, Eisenhower Park, such and such a time, such and such a night. I dare you to join me. Now, had he not said that, I probably wouldn't have gone. Because he dared me, I said, you're on. And we went to the park, and I don't remember a lot of details about it. I remember talking to some people. We went around. We had some literature. And, and uh, you know, today people would think we were Jehovah's Witnesses or something. But we had some literature that we gave out. We, talk, we would meet people and talk with them. And that began in my life to break down the fear of sharing the gospel with people because I began to share people with people I did not know. And I won't ever forget, um, it was another night, but the night that as a 16-year-old, as a we went out, we, again, I, I can't believe we did this, but uh, we went in the, at night uh, walking through the, down the streets of uh, downtown Santa Ana, California, um, even 50 years ago, not the safest place to be. And I'll never forget stopping a young Marine. There was a Marine base not far from there. Walking down the street by himself in uniform. And, uh, and I stopped this young Marine. And uh, I, I said, hey, how you doing? He stopped and said, okay. And I asked him a question, you know, something like, do you know where you're going when you die? Something, one of those kind of questions, you know? And, you know, somebody asks you that question, on you're starting to look, does he have a knife? Does he have a gun? Here's my wallet, what else do you want, you know? And, and, uh, and, and I don't remember his name. I don't remember anything about him other than he was a young Marine, probably 20 years old, maybe. He said, no. I said, would you like to know how to find out where you're going when you die? He goes, yeah. And so right there on the street, under a street light, I'm sure, bars and stuff were down, up and down the street around us. I shared Christ with him, shared the gospel with him. And there on that street, that night, that young man put his faith and trust in Jesus. That was my first. You, know, you don't ever forget your first, do you? That was my first. And, uh, and thank God that he has used me over the years to share the gospel um, with a lot of people. Jesus said in this passage of scripture to his disciples, he said, you're the light of the world. A city that's on a hill can't be hidden. So don't hide the light is what Jesus was saying. And that's what we've been talking about in this series for for the three weeks. And today is the fourth as we wrap it up. We're the light of the world according to Christ. And it does no good, you know, be stupid to have these lights on that we have right now and then to go up and and cover them with something so the light could not come through. That would be dumb, wouldn't it? Not at me if you agree. Yeah. And some of you are saying it would be dumb because economically that's really foolish because you're paying for that electricity. Let the light show. Some of you are like that. That's the way I am. Turn off the light. Turn on the light. But here's what... Let me start this morning with this point. 
Life only begins when the light has been seen. Life only begins, can only begin, when the light's been seen. The world without Christ, as Jesus described it, as the Apostle Paul would talk about it, um, as, as, as we read about in the scriptures, is without Christ, the world's in darkness. And all of us begin there. And it's only when someone tells us the good news, and the good news is that Jesus came to be our Savior, that he came and he lived and he died on a cross and he was buried and he rose again the third day. It's only when someone tells us the good news that Jesus came to be our Savior and we believe that he is, that we move from darkness to light. The Apostle Paul testified that Christ's calling in his life, he said, here's what... He's called me to do in the book of Acts. He shared this testimony. He said, he's called me to open their eyes. Wh whose eyes? The people in darkness. Open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified, set apart by faith in Jesus. He said, here's what the Lord told me when he called me. Now, did you see that? The gospel does several things. The gospel opens closed eyes. It turns men and women from the darkness to the light. It turns men and women, you and I, who know Jesus have been turned from Satan's power to God's power. And then with that conversion from darkness to light, we receive this may be the best thing of all. We receive the forgiveness of all of our sins. And he says, you're included then in the family of God by believing in Christ. Now, without that conversion, <clears throat> without that transformation from darkness to light there, listen to me, I'll just say this again. And you know, you've, this is no surprise to anybody that's been here in church at, for any length of time. Without that conversion, that transformation, that new birth, however you want to describe it, without that experience of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, there is no hope of salvation. There is no hope of forgiveness of sin. There is no hope of heaven. None. And Jesus said to us, Matthew 5, you are bearers of that light. You are the ones that carry the torch, if you will. So really, church, we, we can look at this and say, what an important role we play in the grand scheme of things. He's left this up to us. So your calling as a Christian is vital to the eternity of your friends and family. None of us are called to be spectators. We're all called to carry the light, to share the light. And so here's the wake up. And the smell the roses point today in your notes. We have to be real. We have to be the real thing to share the real thing. If we're going to be bearers of the light, we can't cover it up. We have to be real. Romans 13, verses 12 through 14. Paul writes and says, The night is nearly over and the daylight is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daylight. Now listen, here's what that means. Well, let's walk, let's live is what the word walk means. Let's live in decency 
as in the daylight when everybody can see what we're doing. Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy. He said those things don't belong in our lives at all as Christians. Why? Because we live in the light. So what do we do? We put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no plans to satisfy the fleshly desires. Those verbs, uh, I have them underlined in the, in, in, in the words. I don't know if they're underlined on the screen or not, but they're underlined in my notes. They're, they're underlined, why? Because those things are all our choices as Christians. They're all my choices to discard, to put on, to walk, to put on the Lord Jesus, to make no plans. Those are all my choice, your choice to do. And if we're going to live the light, we will have to make some choices. And if we don't make these choices, if we continue to do these things that are underlined, we continue to walk in darkness. We're covering up the light that's within us. And Jesus said that makes no sense. Don't do that. Now here's some truth for us. We're saved, you and I who are Christians, we're saved to model a higher standard in how we live as Christians. You see, because we all who are Christians, we all at one time lived in darkness, didn't we? All of us did. I became a Christian, I accepted Jesus when I was 10 years old, but for the first 10 years of my life, I walked in darkness. Were you evil? I was a sinner. I did some bad things, yeah. But I walked in darkness because I didn't know the truth. My eyes were still closed. And so now we live to model a higher standard that Paul, he, he points out to us in those, ver- in those verses. We, th- that's who we were. We used to be in darkness, but it's to be a part of my past, not my present. He goes on, he says something similar to the Ephesian church in chapter 5, beginning of verse 8. He said, for you were once darkness. Talking to this church, you used to be darkness, didn't you? Yep. Can I say that to us this morning? You used to be darkness, did you not? If you know Jesus, you understand that. But now you are what? Somebody tell me, now you are what? You're light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. Live like children of light. For the fruit of the light results in all, here's what the happens when you walk in the light. It results in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. So, he says, don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For and, and I need to come back to this sometime later because this is such an important principle for us. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in darkness in secret. Shameful even to talk about it. Everything exposed by the light is made clear for what makes everything clear is light. So when Christians live like we're not, what we do, what we say, how we treat others, that life that we're living covers up the light. The world says they don't want to be Christians or go to church oftentimes because of all the hypocrites. Oh, all the hypocrites, all the hypocrisy. And when they say that, let let me just be real honest with us this morning. We we get offended by that. They're telling the truth. 
aren't they? For a large part, they are. 1 Thessalonians 5.5 5 says, read that with me. Let's read it aloud. 1 Thessalonians 5.5. 5. For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. Here's what you are, Christian. You are children of the light, children of the day when the light is out, and you are not of the night or darkness. Well, here's what that means. Maybe somewhere in your notes, jot this down. I'm different. I'm supposed to be. And the world expects you and me to be different, don't they? Let me just make an observation. I think that the reasoning for some to say, as we, we, I showed you a couple of weeks ago, some research, and in something that came out in, in, a, in a, some research re, just very recently, a couple months ago, that, that a large percentage of, of our population says that for Christians to evangelize is wrong. Say it's wrong. For some to say that evangelization is wrong is, here's what that does in their minds and their way of thinking. That gives me permission to live in darkness while claiming to be a Christian. That's what that does. So now if it's wrong, I can live however I want. Doesn't matter how I live. If I conclude that sharing my faith is somehow a wrong thing to do, it really doesn't matter how I live, how I walk, how I talk. I can live just like the world that doesn't know Christ. And in my mind, those 40, that 47% is saying, in my mind, that's okay. It's been said, I've heard this said for a good while, and, and how true is this statement? I don't know who said it first. It's been said that Christianity is just one generation away from extinction. Have you ever heard that? And that's true. Now think with me. If an entire generation of Christians fails to fulfill its mission and share the faith, let's stop there. I'm not going to ask you to respond in any way other than in your own mind, but if you have never shared your faith, Christian, I mean told the words to someone about Jesus coming and living and dying and rising again from the dead so that they could have everlasting life. If you've never shared that verbally with somebody, you're in the generation that has failed to fulfill your mission. And if an entire generation of Christians fails its mission to share the faith, with the next generation, Christianity stops. Did you get that? And that stat that I shared three weeks ago that said, quote, nearly half, 47% of practicing Christian millennials, young people who are Christians, young adults who consider religion an important part of their lives, believe that evangelism is wrong. It's very frightening to our future. Almost half. And I say it's frightening because I, I don't know what's going to happen with the generation that follows them. I think Generation Z maybe is what they're being called now. But what if that percentage, 47%, what if that increases with Generation Z, young people who were born after 1995? What if the 47% rises? That's frightening, isn't it? And you and I would say, but God would never let that happen. And I would say to you, I think you're right. But what would happen if a whole generation stopped sharing? 
bigger question this morning is, how can that be turned around? That's what I want to address for the rest of the time this morning. How can that be turned around? I don't think it'll be us that does it, by the way. The truth is, as I read the other day, uh, a couple weeks ago, that 90, here's, here's another statistic, 90 to 95% of all American Christians will never lead another person to faith in Christ. And if that's the truth, and that's what they tell us, then the elephant in the room is very clear, isn't it? It's not just the millennials when you think those young people. It's not just the millennials who believe that sharing our faith is somehow wrong. Listen to me, it's all of us who believe that. We never share our faith. We believe the same thing. And we can say, oh, no, I don't, no, I don't. Prove it. I dare you. We can shake our heads and collectively say, of course, it's not wrong, but if you've never shared your faith, your actions speak and your words don't agree. See, if I don't evangelize, if I don't share my faith with others, I am choosing extinction for Christianity. Some of us, a lot of us in this room, I look and I see a lot of hair my color. And I see a lot of shiny heads too. And I see a lot of us who probably, their hair is my color, but they've got a bottle of something somewhere. The 1960s, for those of us who remember that time, were a very turbulent time in our culture, weren't they? And part of that turbulence was talk that Christianity was dying. And it was kind of true. Christianity was smoldering. That great philosopher of the 60s, cultural icon, John Lennon, said this. Watch. The Beatles arrived in Japan today as their tour of the Far East continues. Across the Pacific in the United States, a furor is developing over comments John Lennon made. Quote, Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. We're more popular than Jesus. Unquote. How many of you remember that controversy? John Lennon said the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. The church got all upset. April 8th, 1966, that same year, the cover of Time magazine asked a question. Here's the cover. Good question. It was being asked. And the church said, no, of course not. You remember the time in the, in the late 1960s, there was a lot that was going on in the world. There was the free love of the hippies. Uh, there was uh, the Vietnam War and all the protests, and there was political upheaval and um, Woodstock. A guy named Manson killed a bunch of people. Sixties, Late 60s were kind of a crazy time, but then something began to turn. And from Time Magazine asking, is God dead? Just five years later, on June 21st, 1971, this was Time Magazine's cover. How many remember that? And then there was another picture, another cover 
of uh, that came out in a magazine that that uh, so, suddenly a lot of young people go and put that other one up. The, uh, suddenly a lot of young people uh, were turning to Christ, and I remember seeing this very symbol on the back of a guy's denim jacket. My first day in school in a new school in Southern California. Well, what in the world is that about? It was 1971. Suddenly, it seemed young people in America, lots of us began sharing Christ and a radical spiritual awakening was taking place. And it was overthrowing the decline of Christianity with a renewed fervor to share the gospel. And in just a few years, hundreds of thousands in this country, mainly young people, maybe millions, I don't know, came to know Jesus Christ in our country. And there are churches still today that exist that were planted from that revival 50 years ago. Still strong today. But that was then, and this is now, that's almost 50 years ago, 1971. And if it's not my generation, the question that I asked a little bit ago, how are we going to turn it around? If it's not my generation, it's going to turn it around. I don't think it is. Let me let you in on a secret. It's usually not the older folks in the country that really bring things to happen, that spark the fire. It's usually the young folks. If it's not my generation, if it's not the generation that follows my generation, my generation, we call ourselves the boomers. If it's not Generation X, if it's not the millennials, 47% say, no, we're not going to share the gospel, then what has to happen? How does it get turned around? And the answer to that is that spiritual awakening needs to take place. And spiritual awakening starts with a small flame when someone somewhere ignites the flame, lights the candle, if you will, and then it spreads, eventually burning, as it did in the early 70s, late 60s, early 70s, like a wildfire in a forest. And then revivals like that, or awakenings like that, and we've had a number in our country in our history. Remember that we had the great, some of you remember hearing about this history class they used to teach this stuff, the Great Awakening in the 1700s, and then there was a second Great Awakening in the 1800s, and several revivals since then, the last one being the Jesus Revolution of the 70s. They're great while they last, and they make eternal differences in lives. The impact of that last great American revival of the late 60s and early 70s lasted about 10 years. And it died down. And when a fire dies down, and it dies down from roaring flames and eventually gets down to some warm embers, it can be rekindled, can it not? All of us who have had fires, campfires, and fire pits, and, and so forth, we understand that. You put some kindling back on it, you give it some oxygen. doesn't have to grow cold. So here's some fuel and oxygen I want to share with you if we're going to see our friends and neighbors come to Christ. The fire has to be lit. Fire's got to be lit. How does that happen? How does it start? Number one, prayer becomes a priority among us. Prayer. I heard it said when I was in college, over and over by a fellow by the name of Jerry Falwell, 
I heard him say over and over this, and, and I mean, I heard him say it so many times, it's etched in my, whole, my soul and my heart. Nothing of eternal significance is accomplished apart from prayer. To evangelize our generation might start with prayer for us to be simply willing to tell them and willing to, for them to be willing to listen. Maybe that's how we should begin to pray. And those are not easy prayers because prayers like that challenge us to do something. We, we tend to stay away. Let's be honest, okay? I mean, we're being real honest today. In our small groups, in our prayer requests on Facebook, which I'm glad that we have that as a church and we can share prayer requests, but we tend to stay away from those kinds of prayers. The dangerous kind of prayers that says, God, do something in me. We tend to stay away from those. And, and we stick to temporary things that we pray for, things like surgeries and safe travels, stuff like that. Prayer has to become, let, let me just put another word in front of prayer. You know, it's dangerous prayer. I dare you prayer. Secondly, how do we stoke the fire? Eternity becomes a reality to us. If we truly believe that without salvation by faith in Christ, if we really believe that our loved ones, friends, and neighbors without Jesus, if we truly believe that they will all die and spend their eternities without Christ in hell, how do we keep it quiet? Do I need to ask that again? I'm not going to. How do we keep it quiet? Because we believe that every man, woman, boy, and girl will one day stand before Christ as judge, don't we? You believe that? And if he was not their savior here in this life, he will not be their savior in the afterlife. We only get this one chance, and it's during this life. That's reality. Eternity has to become a reality to us. And then obedience becomes important to us. Obedience. The Great Commission to take the gospel to the nations and with it make disciples, baptizing them, is not a suggestion that Jesus made to be considered. Oh, consider this, guys. Think about this, will you? It's a command that he expects to be obeyed. Jesus said, if we love him, we will keep his commandments. And that has to include all of his commandments, but things like loving our neighbors as ourselves and, and even loving our enemies. We have to get to the place where we move beyond only doing church what we're comfortable with doing. And that leads to the next bit of fuel. Self becomes secondary to us. I never share the gospel with anyone until I realized that those in need of a relationship with Jesus were more important than my feelings. It's really about love, and it's about loving those who need him as Savior. And when we determine to love others as Jesus loved them, when we, turn, we determine to love others that love will conquer our feelings, whether they be embarrassment, 
fear, rejection, whatever your feelings might be. And what happens when we share Christ with others? So we stoke the fire. What happens when that takes place? First of all, we find ourselves praying more. Did that ever do any of us any harm? To pray more? I don't think so. I'm sure it would not disappoint God one bit to hear my voice calling on Him, pleading with Him to open, open someone's heart to the gospel. And I pray that often during the day, in the morning. God, today, I don't know who I'm going to come in contact with, but I would, I would love it, God, if somebody I, that you place me with today is looking for Jesus so I can share Him with them. We find ourselves praying more. That's a good thing. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of us need to pray more? I would say, yeah, that would be. Some of you did anyway. <laughs> what happens when we share Christ with others? We begin to fix our minds on what truly matters. We see everyone, everyone, on the streets, on the, the you know, those people that cut us off on the road, those loud motorcyclists, We see everyone as someone Jesus loves and died for. Everyone. And suddenly that means if we start seeing everybody that way, there's no judgmentalism. There's no prejudice. There's no idea that we're on the right side and you're not. Not yet. We fix our minds on what truly matters. And then here's what happens when you begin to share Christ. Sharing Jesus becomes a joy in your life. How many of you like to do things that bring you joy? Would you raise your hand? A few of you. Some of you are not sure. <laughs> What's the guy? Eeyore? That's who you are. We've got some Eeyores in here. Lord, change them. I don't know how many people in my lifetime I've shared the gospel with one-on-one. Maybe two on two. I don't know. I, I don't keep track. But even when that message has been rejected, and it has been a few occasions, I never walk away angry with myself for doing it. I never say, well, you shouldn't. You just wasted your time. Never. And I may not have done the best job of sharing the gospel. Maybe I did. I, oh, if I'd only said this, if I'd only given this verse, if I'd only done that, that's not the point. The beautiful thing about sharing Christ is that the Holy Spirit is with you and He overcomes your weaknesses. I think that's what Jesus meant in Acts 1.8. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you shall be witnesses. The results, please hear me. The results are really up to him. My role is to obey. And then I become less selfish about everything when I begin to share Christ and see people for whom, as people for whom Jesus died. I become less selfish about everything. So the things that really matter really, excuse me, really don't matter, become less important. And I begin to see myself in my life. I begin to see who God has saved me for and saved me to be. I see him as a tool in his hands. And my desire 
becomes to do what pleases him. Now, those are all good things, aren't they? All good things that happen when we share Christ. And those are all things that we should all aspire to in life. And, and I, I truly believe that if you and I, Nag said church, if we made telling others how to know the Lord something of importance in our lives to communicate with other people, our lives would change for the better. But here's the best thing. One more point in, in this list. I get to be in the Lord's delivery room. Many of us have been present when a baby's born in a hospital, haven't you? I've been there three times. Watching there and cheering her on. You have to be careful what you say, guys, in that situation. That can't hurt that bad. Come on. You don't say stuff like that. I've been there present when three babies were born, and I remember so well, even though it's been 30 plus years ago, I remember so well. Right after the baby was born, I remember the joy that I felt. In fact, I remember the joy that she felt. All that agony that she was going through for hours and hours to produce that child. And then suddenly when that baby is placed in that mother's arms on that table, all the past hours are forgotten. And a huge smile and tears and joy. I wanted, in fact, I remember first time I was in, when Nathan was born and I was there and saw this birth and was in, the, in there. And, and when it got done, I said, I want to do this again. And she said, not anytime soon. Just, let's give it a rest. Now listen to me. It's like that when you're with someone who says at the moment that they say, yes, I'd like to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. There's nothing like it. Nothing. And I believe God wants us all to have that experience of leading someone to believe. The guy, a young man that was up here earlier when we did the offering, our student pastor, Ramon Sanchez, I got to watch him be born again. I was in the room with him when that happened. What a joy. God wants us to lead someone to faith in Christ. He wants, wants every single one of us to explain how much God loves them and that Jesus came to die to take away their sins and give them a home forever in heaven. There's no better news than that. Some of you are thinking, but I don't know how to start. So let me close with these suggestions. Number one, these are real simple. Begin, you can begin right now. Begin to ask God to place someone on your heart who needs him. God, burden my heart for somebody that needs you. And he will. Maybe he already has. Probably he has. You already know that person that you would love to see become a Christian. And then pray for God to begin to open that friend up to an opportunity to hear the gospel. And listen, when that opportunity comes, don't back away from it. Then number two, you can invite him or her to come to church with you. Some of we asked you, and some of you did, invite your friends Easter Sunday. Some of you did. You know, and, and, and I know and becoming a Christian isn't about going to church. 
Nobody will be in heaven because they went to church. But that's a great place to begin to open hearts and open minds to hear the gospel and become curious about it. And I heard the gospel at church. That's where I heard it as a boy. And that's where I responded to Jesus. Was that church? Invite him or her to come to church with you. And then thirdly, and you can everybody, and we've talked about this already in the series, share your story of how you accepted Christ. And our stories are all different, but they all have a common thread running through them. And if you don't include this in your story, you've wasted your breath pretty much. The common thread that runs through the story is that it was faith in Christ alone that gave me eternal life. How did you come to believe in him? Share your story. And by the way, it doesn't need to be the long version. Some of you can talk for a long time. It doesn't need to be the long version. You can tell your story. Listen, you can tell your story in three or four minutes. Okay. Just be sure that your story includes what? The gospel. Because without the gospel, there is no salvation. Be sure your story includes the gospel. And everyone who knows him can do that. So the title of the message today is, was evangelize or fossilize? So the question is, Will you? Will I? Let's bow for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, it's a matter of simple obedience. And I'm thankful, God, I'm so thankful for Ricky Gonzalez. He's in heaven today. But maybe you could tell somebody, get an angel or somebody to say, go find Ricky and tell him Rick talked about him today. Because the challenge that he gave me that night, the dare that he gave me that night changed my life. And I know he's, he's experiencing fullness of joy already in heaven, but that one little tidbit, if he could hear that again, Lord, maybe increase his joy. And I pray, God, that one day I'll be standing with this crowd here around the throne of Jesus. And as he calls us out to stand in front of him, he may call out and say, to all of you who are here today because of this brother, this sister's witness, would you come and stand with them? I hope and pray that a great crowd comes forth to testify of our obedience. All that needs now to be done, Lord, is for us to say yes. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world. 